Welcome back, Red Spotters, to another show here in the Red Spotlight Entertainment Podcast. I'm your host today, Alexis J. Soto, and I am joined by the all-knowing, the all-seeing, the Mr. Oracle himself, Peter Martinez, joining us from on high. How are you doing today? I'm alive. Um, We need to work on that intro. I think we can add a couple more things to it. It's a good start. They're not doing it for you? It's, it's, it, could, it could use a little bit more pumping up. Uh, you take what you can get. You're always welcome to uh, write your own intro and I can read it for you, if that's what you please. Yeah, you know what? I think I think we'll start doing that. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Okay. I can have those every now and then. <laughs> so today, we are gathered once again... In our second edition of our Scorsese Files, the show in which we dive into the long history of Marty Scorsese and his films that have uh, pretty much shaped what is cinema today. As we mentioned in the previous episode, a giant in the film industry. Uh, In the last episode, we discussed his early works from Mean Streets to Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, New York, New York, and The King of Comedy. Now, I'd highly suggest you go back and listen to that episode because there was a lot, and I mean a lot, that was discussed in that first episode about Scorsese and his works. And today, we have perhaps, and that's a big perhaps because the films we just discussed were also pretty, you know, well-known, but perhaps in this installment, we are tackling his biggest hits yet. And the four films that we'll be discussing today are Goodfellas from 1990, Casino from 1995, Gangs of New York from 2002 and The Departed from 2006. Of course, The Departed was the film where he won his first Academy Award for directing um, back in the year of 2007. So those are the films that we are discussing today on Red Spotlight. Get Wait for it. 198. So, and it got nothing out of Peter. Okay. All right. Uh, so, Peter. Yes. How do you would? How would you like to do these <laughs> films today? I think we should go in order of which is least cinema to which is most cinema. <laughs> well, I mean, first and foremost, the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe would have to be as far as least. We wouldn't even cin- discuss it. it yeah, would, yeah. We're not discussing it, so obviously that's where that one goes. Yeah. Once again, sarcasm, people. Well, well. I don't I mean, know. It ain't no Mandalorian, <laughs> I'll tell you that. Because, um, you know, apparently Mandalorian is like the most, ooh, oh my god, thing in the world. Um, go watch Dolomite and, and Dr. Sleep, please, people. I, I'm just putting that out there. Okay, so... um. And are you being serious? So we're going to rank it from least cinema to most cinema? <laughs> or are you saying that perhaps we'll tackle this in terms of what um, we liked least in these and then go and build up to our favorite? Uh, Sure. Although we might we might have different opinions. We might have so. different opinions um, on um, that. Although, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious which one of these is the best. But uh, Most loved, Most I would loved, say. for sure. But, I mean, to... Just talk generally about these list of films. This is everything I look for in what I consider cinema to be. And I don't mean that as hyperbole. I don't mean that as a joke. I, and I absolutely am genuine when I say that these movies are 
in every way the kind of stories that many of us would not know of if they hadn't been presented on screen and if you hadn't had an auteur like Scorsese approach them in the way that he came from. These movies are, I think it's pretty safe to say at least for uh, at least two, but maybe you can make the case for all four of them among the best movies um, in the last few decades, maybe ever. Uh, one in particular. I'll which put will, it this way. Yes. If they were on Disney Plus, I would totally watch. Yeah, I really wish they were on Disney Plus. And it, it's just like. I'll... <laughs> it could be in my recommended bar next to Dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I, I'm I'm happy HBO Max is going to use whatever catalog they have to promote their Criterion films that they have on there. Yeah. I really am. I'm, I'm actually really excited for HBO Max. I am as well. I just wish there was like a cinema lover's version. I know we had Criterion. What was it? The um, Criterion. Filmstruck. No, fi- Filmstruck. Filmstruck. Was, oh, yeah. Filmstruck was Because that had Criterion and then also other films. Right, right. And of course now it died because, well, that's, I think, HBO Max primarily and then all the, all the other services. But they have the regular Criterion. Yes, they do. And I'm I'm still paying right. for it. <laughs> I just wish we had a like a streaming service where we had like all of the, you know, the best one, like maybe like an AFI streaming service would be fun. Um Oh yeah, okay, I see what you mean. So it's That's like, impossible. <laughs> I just like a, cur- a curation of these things and not to get, you know, too lost with, you know, not ig- ignoring these movies, but I think it's important to us to discuss something that Mark Ruffalo just uh threw out there about a national endowment that Scorsese could lead. Can we talk a little bit about what that would mean, what that would look like? A national endowment for those who are not um, aware of what that means? Basically, it's just like you give artists money and then they make, they their, make movies. their movie without, you know, it, it's basically without. Um, you bypass the studio system mm-hmm. and it would be something that would be set up by the government. So for. Oh, you, I think the way that Mark Ruffalo suggested it, okay. he didn't suggest the government. I think he suggested that Marty himself oh. put up the money. Um, I suggested the government do it. Well, I, th- I feel it should. But again, yeah. not everybody feels that way. I think the arts should be promoted in a big way. I feel like that should be a big... I mean, uh, Mr. Rogers argued for that. Um, PBS. I I think the arts are vitally important. Julie Andrews um, consistently fights for those um, as it's being you know stripped away ever so slowly. But uh, yeah, right. And the way that Ruffalo had suggested is that Scorsese as his own private person and his, kind of, he's kind of his own institution... Just start one up where there would be an endowment for these artists to do so. Netflix kind of does that, although... In the beginning, it, it was a little bit like that, because they right. would get artists, and they're just, okay, here's the money, go right. make whatever. But now as we're um, going into the they're streaming They're getting more competitive. Wars, with the streaming wars now in full swing, there are more selective, shall we say, with the content that they put money into, in which the most example of that would be is how it seems as if... There is a no TV show past season three rule for whatever reason, and then they keep getting axed. A lot of their original programming keeps getting canceled for whatever reason. Yeah, I I, I don't know. They obviously have some metrics that they're going clearly. By. I I don't know what it is. Though. I mean, it, it was surprising. BoJack did not was just like okay, we're going to end it at season six when the creators were like, we we had more in mind, but okay, we'll end it here. That, that that's one of the things where it's like I felt the sh- it was time for the show to end. Well, I haven't seen it since season four, so I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't. But comment. I mean, I don't know any show that needs to run past six seasons. Uh, <laughs> I understand that, but if the creators had more in mind, well, I mean, it, yeah, yeah. I definitely, I, I get what you mean, though. 
I feel like at around season six, though, that's where shit starts six to and get seven a little repetitive. When, exactly. You're exactly right when things begin, begin to come a little stale or go downhill. No but, matter how good the show is. But the point is, with an endowment that would be spearheaded by Scorsese, these movies bypass the studio system, which mean that their inevitable um, approval to be for these films to actually happen would not depend on the current market system, which again, repeatedly has to be pointed out. Why do we worship the market? Okay. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get into a roundabout capitalism, but you know. when it works, it's great. But when it doesn't work, it's pretty fucking bad. And again, it does um, produce incentives that m- might be pretty, um, opposed to like the human condition and our psyche um, because people are more depressed now than ever and I think a lot of it can be you know like you know it's all about being successful making money da, 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 oh, I do da. believe many studies have shown that a lot of our anxieties in today's day and age are almost entirely uh, sourced by uh, e- economic disparities yeah so there, there's a lot of issues with that, but I mean, <laughs> that's not today's show, guys. But yeah. it's all. I think it's a wonderful idea, and I, 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 I would love to see it happen. I think that'd be a wonderful idea for these. Uh, now, I don't know if uh, how you would go about doing that because you would never get it funded. That's just the problem. We're talking about Scorsese, who we cannot forget was begging on his knees to all of these distributors to do Irishman, and they all said, no, we can't fund that. Netflix, by some miracle, agreed to do it. And by the way, I don't know if it's ever been mentioned on this show, but the upcoming Irishman film, which they've yet to spend on the, what will surely be, hugely expensive Oscar race for Irishman, yeah. it was close to $250 million dollars. Or at least it was at least it was over two hundred million dollars. Holy shit! For a three and a half hour movie. I mean, maybe if you can get, um, I don't know, some some big spenders, you, you get one of those billionaires that's like, hey, I give a shit about the arts. I donate a million every year. Michael Bloomberg is about to waste millions of dollars. So yeah, somebody ask him. Get one of these millionaires that wants to run for president millionaires and billionaires pull them aside and be like hey instead of that do this instead um i think it'd be easier to do that than to do it through the government because it's like while there's one person that's living on the streets or is unable you know to to do and to do certain things as long as there's poverty and stuff like that you're never going to get in this climate people to be like hey let's divert money to make movies <laughs> right because clearly homelessness yeah. homelessness has a much larger issue than i'm sorry yeah. where we are with film right now i think we as a society and um should push the arts forward i'm saying it's it's impossible for that future to happen the government should play a role in this but yeah. it can't because of the realities that exist right now and it doesn't have to be like Billions upon billions. They can be small movies. No one's saying you need to make the next Avatar with these things. Uh, well, I mean, if you get James Cameron involved, watch out with with your wallet. <laughs> James Cameron doesn't make small movies. Um, but no, it's just like, here's a, a few 
you know, 10,000 here, 20,000 here, small movies. Um, see what gr- good up and coming artists can do with it. Maybe for some of them, get a bigger budget. You know, I, I don't know exactly how you would divvy up the money. Um, but yeah, I think the arts are important. Clearly, us. I think we both feel that way. I mean, we're doing this show for a reason. It's not just because we to like shit on fake cinema. <laughs> yeah, like the Disney live action remakes. Um, Have you seen the Lady and the Tramp live action remake yet? Oh, okay. why would I? Okay, I don't know. I it's there. No, I won't. I will never see it because okay. I don't care. I won't it. either. I was just curious of you. No, I want to see if I want to ask Moreno if she's seen it. I mean, I can tell you what she'll think of it. I, I liked it. I remember loving the original Lady cartoon. and the Tramp. Yeah. Those racist cats went way over my head as a kid. They did with me, too. I just thought that was a cute little song. Yeah. <laughs> we are Siamese, if you please. <sighs> Anyways. So Scorsese, in the movies that we're talking about today, we're talking about Casino, Goodfellas, Gangs of New York, and The Departed. Clearly, the main theme among all of them is that they're all based on gangs. Mm -hmm. Let's start with Gangs of New York. That one, I really liked. and I did too. Good, we're on the same page. Um, (laughs) What I really liked... I liked liked it. I (laughs) I think one of the things that was most immediately noticeable about this movie to my shock is that yeah we're doing a gangster movie but we're doing it in a way no one has done it before we're gonna go back in time we're gonna go it's not in the 1900s we're gonna go back to the 1800s in fact this movie opens up i believe in the 1840s um we're talking about new york during america's nine uh yes the 19th century this movie primarily takes place during the time of the Civil War with, uh, I think, 1860 and 1861 or two. Martin Scorsese says, I'll go back in time, but I am still not leaving New York. <laughs> I mean, you got to admire the balls for that, honestly. And it's, um, curiously enough, Daniel Day-Lewis is in this film as well as uh, Leo DiCaprio and others. But again, I found it just funny to me, like uh, Daniel Day-Lewis playing this, uh, for all intents and purposes, this nativist, uh, nativist racist, uh, xenophobic racist, um, while in another universe, uh, Steven Spielberg directed Daniel Day-Lewis as Lincoln in the exact same timeline. So, there's that. Oh, let me do the quick synopsis yes. provided by our sponsors, Letterbox XD. Exactly. And um, this is uh, from 2002. That's after... 9-11, and that plays into this later on, at the end of the movie. Yes, it was released in 2002. Um, I do want to say a quick shout-out from our sponsors, Litterbox XD. If you sign up for a subscription to Litterbox XD um, within the next three months, put in the code uh, Red Spotlight, you will get 10% off your annual subscription. That's right. <laughs> we worked so hard for that. You better use yes. it. Yes. We got them, though. We got We got them. America was born in the street. <laughs> I love these descriptions so much. I know. They make me laugh. <laughs> it's 1863. America was born. Oh, they say it twice. America was born in the streets. 
Amsterdam Valen returns to the Five Points of America to seek vengeance against the psychotic gangland kingpin Bill the Butcher, who murdered his father years earlier. With an eager pickpocket by his side and a whole new army, Valen fights his way to seek vengeance on the Butcher and restore peace in the area. And Valen is portrayed here by Leonardo DiCaprio. And this is the first collaboration with Leo and Marty, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Right. And uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is playing Bill the Butcher. Uh, Bill the Butcher. In Bill the Butcher. The yeah. Butcher in this movie. Um, one of the things that will probably get to be quite redundant is, of course, as with all of his films, masterfully directed, beautifully shot. The sets are fantastic. And, of course, the performances. The sets are great. The performances are ascendant. Um, and, yeah, getting back to the sets, like... They're sets, but I, I guess to an extent you know that they are, but they don't look like it. Mm-hmm. They look like you're being transported to that time period. You could tell a big goal with this film was to be as historical, historically accurate to the time period as possible. And there's so many little things that are going on in uh, that happen within the film that just give you the sense of like, uh the time period like uh, a lot of draft dodging um a lot of uh what's it called like someone's house at some point gets set on fire arsony uh, yeah and they don't got the money to pay to put it out so the the firemen just watch it burn um of course the war is happening you mentioned the draft mm-hmm. and the draft dodging but there's also a lot of uh racism a lot of uh yeah i think at some points a pretty big historical um moment happens at the end mm-hmm. absolutely was, yeah yeah i wasn't entirely sure what that was but we'll discuss um we'll discuss. i think i can look up the exact name of course um, we'll get into we'll it, it as we later. get into the ending of the movie but that happens at the very end of the film um other stuff that's what happening here is uh well of course civil war is happening there are a lot of, oh, yeah, uh, this is one of the ugly points of the movie. Ugly in terms of, you know, watching it happen, but of course, being the film, uh, a lot of, uh, it's not as heavy, I would say, as other films of this time period would be, because it's not the main focus, but it's definitely lingering in the background, the racism and the hatred for African Americans, and Again, and immigrants. <laughs> of course. Uh, we had just mentioned the xenophobic nativism that is kind of encapsulated by Bill the Butcher. But with that, with I'm sorry, without without due respect to the immigrants and the things that they're being, you know, thrown at in this movie, uh casually in the background, there are um blacks that are being lynched. Um, as we get to uh, the ending of the film uh, and massacred and literally butchered, I think even set on fire, if I'm not mistaken, during the climax of the film. And it's something that's not in the focus, but it's just there. And uh, it's disgusting to see, but it's definitely something that is historically accurate. And this is happening in New York. This is the North. This ain't the South, which I think to some people might be a little surprising. For some people um, growing up, in uh you know if you have like a just a standard uh high school education even even a college education i don't i don't think um mo- i think most people come away with the idea of like oh the north good south bad and it's like not necessarily like racism was still very rampant everywhere 
within the um uh within all of the United including, States. Including um Asian Americans, which they were definitely in this film in the background. Oh and yeah. Had many the vicious Irish. <laughs> God, the Irish yeah. Yeah. They hated the Irish. I um, I, I I don't understand any racism to be clear um why they hated the irish i guess it's implied that it goes back to a long history in the homeland of a war waging between ireland and what what were okay bill the butcher do you he's not irish he hates the irish so what is he exactly is he from english okay he's just english okay well, that's where they all came from. <laughs> well, well, exactly. But they're American at that point. Right. You know, because he doesn't have any accent or anything right. like that. Um, but yeah, his ancestors. And then, of course, um, and it, most of the immigrants coming at that point were Irish, I believe. Exactly. And then that's 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 where the a lot of the anti-immigration sentiment right. came and, from. And Bill is born American, right? I think that's implied. Yeah, right. I think I believe that's implied. Okay. Um. Although it is interesting, um, this this is kind of, again, rather nuanced. Um, the, a lot of the politicians don't give a shit about the immigrants per se, but they're like, if we clothe them and feed them, they'll vote for us. Um, <laughs> I mean, like it isn't that what the American isn't that what the American dream is about? <laughs> like at the end, um, something happens and a lot of people die, a lot of immigrants die, and they're like, "Well, get ready to have uh, bread and 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 drink ready when the boats get tomorrow." We lost a lot of votes tonight. <laughs> like that's the way some of the politicians saw it, um, and it was like again or the, the way they would put you. Uh, to me, the film, the story is very basic like yes <laughs> very basic i think the film most of the point of the film is just to really engross you in that time and of course mm-hmm. the the characters are compelling but like so much of it is i found the, so much i found entertaining was just watching the united states new york in this time period like this is a film i think would be great um if you have a cool teacher uh to play it in a history class like there's so much little things you can pick up on and it's kind of brutal even when it got better um because in the beginning of the film it almost feels like a (laughs) post-apocalyptic when they have that first battle i was thrown off i have to admit right i was like like, what is this i thought first of all i wasn't even aware that gangs of new york would be a period piece like a deep period piece but like the opening was almost like something out of mad max or something it was crazy. But even when they flash forward, like, I don't know, 17, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, 20, I think. It's still, they're walking, a- 20 years, they're walking around and they're like, is that a dead person in the street? Yeah. Like, like it's just kind of normal. People die in the streets and then that's it. And it's not like they have it any worse off than anywhere else in the United States. It's just like, that, that's the way life was at that time pretty crazy especially considering now i mean it's not like it we don't have problems now but usually there's a dead body in the street at least in the united states people are like hey oh shit there's a dead body in the street i mean if there are any parallels between today and and the in the film is perhaps not to this extent yet although that's a matter of opinion the level of the 
xenophobic nativism uh, that's displayed in the film. Um, and what we're and I think it's a it's a good show that it's a good example. I mean, that it's always been there. Absolutely. Uh huh. It's always stayed and, with and, us. It's never really gone away. Yeah. And, 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 and at first, I'm, I'm sorry, you really set, lit off the match here, but I go ahead. I it, it, it's a. Uh, it's only further. The film is only further evidence that, of course, this xenophobic nativism, for whatever reason, has, like racism, and sexism, has always kind of lingered in our society. But it's like, in particular, with nativists, it's kind of like the ultimate sense of irony because, like, it doesn't occur to them that hey, your ancestors they didn't take it. They didn't. We weren't born here. We literally had to commit a genocide to take this wonderful land from the people who were actually put on that land first. It doesn't occur to them that perhaps we were the immigrants that came here and ripped away the natives, you know? And the the answers you'll get from, from people are both, like, wildly different and both terrifying. Because these both these same answers will usually come out of the same people's mouth, but at different times. They'll say one, like, oh, like, I'm not my ancestors. Do you expect me, you know, to apologize for something I wasn't a guns, part of? Da, 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 guns, da, guns, da, da, guns, guns. You talk about guns uh, and religion. They always point to the ancestors. Are you being a hypocrite there? No. But then the other part is that they'll say, like, um, they'll be... And then this is where it's really creepy. It's like, well, yeah, well, you know, just because my ancestors were uh, my they're proud of the ancestors because they were conquerors and they're they did this and they did that. And it's like, whoa, so it whoa, makes whoa, no whoa. difference to you that they actually had to exterminate a group of people just to get where you're sitting at right now. It makes no difference that all of that blood was spilt. Well, they're they're simultaneously proud of their ancestors, and then say, "Whoa, whoa, we didn't do it." You're like, "What are you talking about me?" I feel it's, it's like, like those mm-hmm. same people who were bitching about the Confederate statues being taken down in the South. It's like, guys, I, really, you're going to? I don't want to <laughs> blow this thing out of proportion, but it's like there. It is a fact in American life that in the South, especially, part of what they consider to be their heritage and their culture is imbued with the history of the Confederacy, which is something that... Yeah, but that's why I say fuck their heritage (laughs) and culture. I I agree with that Um, wholeheartedly, because I don't... Why do you hold something so close to your heart that literally killed hundreds of people, millions of people? Yeah. So, again, you're right. There's a lot of commentary happening in the movie. Um, in particular, and it is an interesting watch because of all of what you're seeing happen. This xenophobia, this hatred of immigrants, this hatred of other people has always been with us. Um, but it also, also, it changes with time. Um, like no one's going to look at an Irishman and be like, go back to your country. Like no one's going to say that today. Um, but at that time, holy shit, you know call them i think a lot of derogatory some there's certain derogatory words that has something to do with potatoes i I don't want to accidentally say it but i'm sure there was some words like that um and 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 it shows it's it's always about the other you know what i mean and and i think a lot of people they'll try and say like oh no the issue is between you know white people 
and you know these these other immigrants they're the bad ones either mexicans or from the middle east or whatever but white people have our shit together and it's like oh these are racists obviously but that shows just like what a small grasp they have on history because the idea of white people has changed constantly throughout history and it's changed as um it's actually changed the the less races we've gotten uh, the less races we've gotten more and more and more people are allowed into that category of white till the idea of whiteness is kind of going to be kind of useless which is a good thing um but yeah i find it interesting like cuz you'll see people try to talk about immigration today and it's like oh the issue is them and it sounds exactly like every other ignorant idiot throughout the entirety of um the history of the united states and it's very much in display uh in this film i mean just i i think we even see it in i know in, in casino and in goodfellas but a lot of the degrees of separation between these different um groups of people that you know in today's society we just all kind of throw them all into the same category of being white but i know like in goodfellas in the casino there's many references to like uh the italians the jews the irish like all three three of these groups in particular as we're seeing in these films that we're covering today at some point seem to be at war <laughs> with each other um whereas in today we have a jewish candidate for president but He's not considered to be somebody who is, uh, let's just say, of color—not a color, but like a like minority. Exactly, candidate. he's just white and old. So mm -hmm. the difference. Oh, well, he is old. <laughs> he is. Um, but yeah, I, I find that to me the best thing about Gangs of New York is the history. Absolutely, um, but I will say. I do like the story. It is basic, but I do mm -hmm. like the story, and I think it mostly works because of the performances. In this film, um, and maybe this might be... Yeah, you know what? I don't think it's that controversial. Uh, is basically held up, like almost every film he's in, by... Uh, uh, what's his Daniel name? Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis yeah. as, as, yeah. as Bill the Butcher. Uh -huh. He is just magnetic. Yes, such a magnetic Is that really controversial? Because you have, um, well, Lincoln had some good performances, but Phantom Threat also has some good performances. But, like, it's mainly him. Like, Leo's good in this, but he, he's he's doing Leo, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Cameron Diaz is good. Yeah. She's, she's doing Cameron Diaz. Um, oh, you know who I do love? Uh, what's that actor? Um, he's the one with the bat. Um, I've always loved him as an actor. Let me see if I can find John him. C. Riley, oh, Brendan Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson, the Bat. What? He's Mad Eye Moody in Harry Potter. Oh, okay. You know what I'm yeah, talking Mad Eye about? Moody. I know him. Okay, yeah. that actor. Do you remember who he was in the film? He was uh, the the Irish guy that they put up uh, for office, right? For the candidate. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He. I I love him. And he everything. was great in I, this. I, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, just like in a general sense, the story is as what you just described in the synopsis, right? This guy's father was killed by a bullet butcher and it's a revenge story. Not the most memorable of ways, but it's also, I mean, I wasn't bored, you know? I, I mean, but again, I, I, I like the relationship uh, that we got between 
Bill the Butcher and with Valen. Um, it was interesting how, um, just to see those two get close to each other. Uh, and I was wondering for a bit there if Valen would really go through with it because at certain points in the movie, you do see a sort of affection between the two of them um, grow. Yeah, that was interesting. Because um, um, one of the turning points in the film is, well, at first it's like he's getting close to him because he wants to kill him. But all of a sudden, like, again, the guy does have a magnetic personality and he takes him up under his wing and they almost de- develop like a sort of father-son surrogate that's a type theme relationship. in these movies one uh one that just went to my mind instantly although kind of different but a little bit similar was how it, um uh not corleone uh frank costello in the departed took uh matt damon under his wing yeah so those relationships have a common reoccurrence here but as far as i think for me that was uh kind of what kept me engaged in the film was the relationship well the turning point was when uh, there's an assassination attempt made on Bill the Butcher, mm-hmm. and he stops it. Right. And he realized he just kind of did it on instinct. Um, yeah. Like, he didn't even, like, he just genuinely was protective of him. And then that's, he's like, he kind of looked in the mirror like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> like, this guy um, killed my dad. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, he's he's the enemy. Um. Uh, do you want to talk about the climax? Let's do it, because it's kind uh, of an explosion. <laughs> the The climax is based off a real historical uh, event called the New York City Draft Riots. And I remember learning this, I think, in my uncle's class. Your uncle's a history um, teacher history in our teacher. public education system in our hometown. He's a fantastic teacher. Right, in our yes. hometown of Tatooine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have you know that uh, he was actually my favorite uh, teacher out of all of them, really, in my entire uh, career, as far as high school is concerned, so he's great. He knows this. He knows his stuff. He's really good. And I remember uh, learning this. Um, this is from Wikipedia, which, uh, despite what s- teachers think, is actually an amazingly good reference point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it happened in July thirteenth to sixteenth, eighteen sixty-three, known at the times as Draft Week, where violent disturbances in Lower Manhattan widely regarded as the culmination of white working class discontent with new laws passed by Congress that year to draft men to fight in the ongoing American Civil War. Um, So basically huge riots by working class white men saying, uh, fuck this war, Um, this has nothing to do with us, Um, because they were being drafted. And they they build that up throughout the film of like people getting drafts requests and just throwing them away a lot of poor people it's like they need money so they sign up for the draft or food and um i don't know how many people died here but they they do show it somewhat in the film with one of his friends being hanged but they took out a lot of their aggression on the black people in the city at the time because they looked at them and they said you're the reason that we have to go to war and die. Yeah, that, you. that's the point where it got pretty fucking... Uh, well, I mean, it all is ugly, to be real. But it's like... You almost... For, for I mean, you really do feel for the immigrants here because it's not their war, per se. And there is a certain sense of righteousness about them 
in rebelling against the elite who is really just using them for cannon fodder, as we've seen throughout the film. But then they go out of their way to massacre. Well, uh, I don't sympathize with them that much. Yeah, I don't either. I'm just that's Uh, why for me, that's where it all just kind of falls apart, because really what it's all. Well, because these a lot of these immigrants are racist. Exactly. Um, They're and. Not only the immigrants, but the, the already the the working people that were there, mm-hmm. um, and again, you see this in the United States as well. So it's like you have. Um, you mean today? Yeah, today, um, where you have like Trump country, and it's like you can say something along the lines of like, "Well, you know, jobs are gone," you know. But then it's like, but then these people turn around and they 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 channel uh, their xenophobia and their hatred and all their anger at immigrants, and they do it to support Trump. And they put their hats on, they scream about building that wall, they cheer at children in cages along the border. Um, it's it's the same shit. It's the same shit. Again, they're not directly going out. Like in these riots, um, times are a little different, um, but you're supporting the same kind of anti. Uh, you're scapegoating your issues, yeah. and that's kind of an issue that America has always had: the scapegoating of issues to other people, the other people. Which is what Adolf Hitler did when he came to power as the oh, chancellor. Yeah. So that's um, why it's scary. <laughs> That's why people get scared when they see stuff like this, guys. A um, little bit. But it, it is an important film. And we should talk about how it ends. So, I mean, first of all, as it was staged, the third act is bombastic and brilliant and explosive um, in its execution. Everybody dies, basically. So that's the ending of the movie. But then as... Uh, uh, no, not really. Well, uh, don't they? The, our two leads live. Oh, well, mostly. But, I mean, our two <laughs> leads get away. But mostly um, everybody else Leo is wiped out. And Cameron, Cameron Diaz. Diaz. Yeah, they get they get their happy ending, which is a rarity in these movies. They move movies. out, um, California, West. Yeah, I don't know. It's the same ending as the Newsies. They go to Santa Fe. <laughs> okay. Um, by the way, but, these assholes made me watch the Newsies. By the way, define who you mean by these assholes. Uh, you, Kyle, no, Moreno. No, okay, no, no, no. okay. I never saw Newsies. Oh, you weren't there. That's right. I wasn't there. Yeah, you had called and then we hung up on you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like that fucker always does on me. <laughs> that was fun. Anyway, continue. If you're listening, go fuck yourself. Anyway, um, but everybody else gets wiped out more or less. Um, and 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 uh, Bill the Butcher meets his end. Um, and then the final moments of the film, you see New York, a transition or a time lapse, if you will, of New York from what it was back then in 1860-ish to where we are at that point, which would be 2002. And I looked for it because I had a feeling, I think there's a, a common song that's played over it. I looked for it as we're looking into the final shots of the film of present day New York. I know that this movie's release date was pushed back because of what happened in the terrorist attacks of 9-11. And I did look for it. If I'm not mistaken, the Twin Towers are present in the final shot of the film in New York City. Yes. That's interesting because a lot of films at that time were just removing them. Spielberg kept them in in, uh, Munich, I think. Yeah. 
but that's because at that time it was a period piece. So at that time they would be there. Right. But I think, well, the, the con the documentary made it out to seem as if, because when, when Munich was released, it was after nine 11. Yeah. And well, he, he deliberately ended with that shot of right. the two towers, but either way they would be there because it was a period piece and right. the twin towers were there at that time. <laughs> right. But in this one, I, I did notice the Twin Towers were, were standing. And I loved that because it, it's like you go from this, like, you start off in like this almost fantastical post-apocalyptic world yeah, to transition to something that's more resemblance and like the, this vain idea of history that y you maybe got from school. And then at the end, it's like, this was a real place. This was a real people. This, you know, um, it's real. Th this all happened. And when you transition to um modern times and and you see the city there how we know it today that's really cool and i and i really liked that and again i think that does translate to all the messages of who we are as a country and the good and the bad <laughs> i really enjoyed this film i i suspect though that this movie isn't regarded is regarded as like among his lower tier yeah i think so um and i get it because I think overall, story-wise, it has less going on. It's pretty basic. But the quality um, is still on screen. Cool, yeah. Yeah. I. You know what? If we're going on, like, least favorite to most favorite, um, this one wouldn't actually be last for me. Another film would be last for me. Um, Which one? And I think you're going to be surprised. Um, the Departed? Yeah. Really? Yes. Okay, let's go into that one. How? Okay. The oh, let me look up the <laughs> the Departed, uh, which is came out in two thousand six. Uh, stars Jack Nicholson, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Mark Wahlberg, Alec Baldwin, um, Martin Sheen, uh, right. Vera Farmiga. A lot of people are on that. A movie. lot of a lot of stars. Okay, this of course is provided by our sponsor, Litterbox XD. Lies, betrayal sacrifice how far will you take it to take down south boston's irish mafia the police send in one of their own to infiltrate the underworld not realizing the syndicate has done likewise while an undercover cop curries favor with the mob kingpin a, a career criminal rises through the police ranks but both sides soon discover there's a mole among them the departed and it's actually based on a foreign film uh it's a remake of a foreign film i think i know it's called infernal affairs right i can't remember if it's which where it's from though i think japan i know it's asian but i can't remember which country specifically but yeah um from what you were saying, it seemed like you really liked it so well i really liked all of, <laughs> uh these performances but if we're going to, if I'm going to say this versus Gangs of New York, I'd go with this. Because I I, I was just more invested in, I think, the narrative. Um, more than just one key relationship I was invested by. I will all. say maybe because of my upbringing, like historical period pieces in which they just dive into how day-to-day -day life was during that time period in that section of the world, I find extremely fascinating. Maybe that's because of my upbringing. 
As uh, do, hey, I mean, as do I. I, I love yeah. historical period pieces. Mm-hmm. I just thought this was a better film. Yeah, but I'm saying that's why I think it probably edged out above The Departed for me. Okay. Well, I mean, it's interesting because this is the film he won his Oscar for. That's not to say as if that's why I like it better, but I have noticed that people, there are people that really dislike this movie. Yeah. That's weird to me. I like even though it's not my favorite, it's really good. <laughs> well, when we talked about it, you had mentioned of the fact that uh people thought that the film was way too like um literal and in your face about the message in the film and that like it was like cool. Well, again, I had no idea that this was an issue for people, but I like I was scrolling through my phone and then I read an article a while back about how someone had released an edited version of the departed where they remove the rat from like the last shot of the film and i guess i guess to the the fact that people have pushed for that so much that it got an edit by someone that i guess that's a big deal for some people like oh i get it he's a rat (laughs) um i don't to me it's like I didn't have an issue with that at all. I think that's great. <laughs> well, let's get into what, what we liked about this movie. Um, I'll just say for me is, I mean, not the best of uh, Scorsese's crime films. I thought it was, uh, I thought that the direction here was quite riveting in terms of uh, uh, the back and forth we had um, between, we have Matt Damon's Sullivan character and we also have Leo's character who, whose name I'm, I'm forgetting right now. But they're both basically moles, mm-hmm. um, and they're For opposing sides. Exactly, and we and we kind of hop back and forth between that. And um, for me, I thought it was um, really well handled in terms of uh, how the narrative is really well done. Exactly, the story is really good, and it kept getting more and more um, interesting as it went along. Especially those last few minutes where you're just like, "Wait, what just happened?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which was great. Um, and again, to say nothing of, I think my favorite part of this is Jack Nicholson's performance. Oh, yeah. They just gave Jack Nicholson some cocaine and threw him in front of a camera. Um, <laughs> he it's... is depraved and loving it. Um, <laughs> no, he really, he, he really stole the show. No, he did. He did. And one clip I keep going back to is... Um, just this one particular scene where they're finding out they're finding out that they found this person's body, and then one of the guys says that he's embarrassed that he didn't do a good enough job of burying this person. Um, and and then he starts laughing at Jack Nicholson because of like he's he's doing such a good job. How can you not laugh at it? And then Nicholson's just like, "Don't laugh, this ain't reality TV," <laughs> you know. In the Nicholson <laughs> voice, yeah. I, I love Nicholson. I, I don't know. I can yeah. tell you, he's just he's great. Spent- He's fantastic. He's great in this. Um, he's. <laughs> you see why he got hired as the Joker. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, um, let's see here. Um, what do you want to start with this movie? Uh, it's very Boston. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't say it, anything. I'll just it, say, yeah, it's it's very Boston. It's like the departed. Um, yeah, if, yeah, if Boston ever burst the film, it would be this. Um, <laughs> oh, there was something like the homophobia is like rampant in this film. I read some stuff that's just interesting, but go ahead about that. Uh-huh. Yeah, 
like it's it's really bad but there was one part that it was just so ridiculous that i just laughed when um he's he's telling um uh, what's his name alec baldwin mm-hmm. oh, he, he alec- told him that he's gonna get married and he's like that's good no one will think you're gay but he, you know he used another word right um, <laughs> he used the, yeah but but in the Boston accent, the way they say it, I'm like, oh my god, this is so like ridiculous. Um, but I had, and this has been a while because it's actually been a while since I've seen the film. Um, but with this one, I remember seeing like a theory that Sullivan, which one's Sullivan? Matt Damon. Matt Damon. That Matt Damon's character is actually um, gay. secretly gay. I read that as um, well. It's yeah. pretty interesting. And I thought that it? was really interesting. That was that was a really interesting way to look at his character. Um and the and the little subtle hints to it. I buy it. I think I, I mean yeah. if, if we're looking at the context clues, because there there's more than just one or two moments where you get the impression he's really overcompensating. But it also feels like everyone else in the film is too. <laughs> that's true. So, that's true. But but, but him he, specifically, yeah, because he is in a, in essence as a mole living a double life. Mm-hmm. So he's he's essential. so that could be another layer to it. Exactly, and why I would think it would work in this instance. We also see other examples of. Uh, uh, well, it's implied heavily that, that the baby that he had with Vera Farmiga wasn't his because we saw that she had sex with Leo, Di- Leo DiCaprio, and we also Wait, and saw that they had problems in bed. Let's be honest. If it's between Matt Damon and Leo, I, I'm, I'm going Leo. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody would. Yeah, I don't think there's a question there, but um, the, the the it's it's more to the fact that he was able to conceive mm-hmm. Damon wasn't um, yeah. and I think they made it pretty clear that he was having problems with that um, and so and in that same scene talked about Alec Baldwin um, I think Alec, Bal- Alec Baldwin was saying to Matt Damon is like is your I don't know is your tinker working or something and he's like oh yes oh yes sir it's overtime in fact and I was like mm-hmm. okay like, like really weird overcompensation yeah. Um. One of the things that I found interesting. Oh, don't forget the 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 uh, the adult theater, where he meets Jack Nicholson. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So th- I don't know exactly what pornography was playing. I I don't know if it was um, if it was lesbian or gay or whichever one. It, or maybe it was straight porn. I don't know. I couldn't tell. I don't remember what it was. But Nicholson comes up behind him with like a uh, a prosthetic, um, when he jumps on him. Yeah, and that which was hilarious. I don't know what it was funny. I guess Nicholson was doing that, but he's just the, fucking crazy. <laughs> but what they he, I mean, it's Jack Nicholson. What can I tell you? Mm-hmm. But um, the people that have this theory note that Matt Damon's character was visibly uncomfortable being seen in that area. Yeah, like I don't know, maybe he's been there before. Um, yeah, Scorsese has a thing for uh, porn theaters. <laughs> Do they still exist? I, how would they? Yeah, I how don't know. Would... Maybe there's some novelty place. And it's just like, hey, the last running porn theater. <laughs> Scorsese can use it for his next film. Um, <laughs> oh, what I found interesting, because I've always wondered, like, how does how does this work for undercover cops? Like, 
how do they, how are they not able to pull up from your you know if you go in with a mobster how are they not able to pull up like hey you used to be a cop you used to be this you used to be whatever um and it's and i found it so interesting they pull him straight from the academy and they're like you're gonna be doing this for years and you're not gonna get paid until it's over <sighs> Like, yeah. that's crazy. Like, that's a crazy commitment to do. And then it's like, and then what? You just go become a regular cop? Like, I don't know. And and um the, the, the way Scorsese was able to create tension, like, I was genuinely, like, scared for him. Yeah. Because I'm just imagining how I would be as an undercover cop in that moment. It's like, fuck, I wouldn't last a day. Because you you really have to think on your feet, and there are several times where I really thought, "Oh shit, he's gonna get his head blown off." Um, Leo specifically, like that tension is um, really well done throughout the film, um, and also they are pretty um, liberal with who dies in the film, like just about everyone dies. <laughs> Like, right. I think one of the, the biggest shockers at the time for the film was Leo dying and the way he died. It came out of nowhere, man. It came out but of that, nowhere. Yeah. But that that's what that's what works so effectively. Like this entire film, he had to play his cards right and he had to do it for a very long time. There were so many tense, close calls. And then at, at the one second where he thought he was OK, boom, it ended before he could even realize it like oh like i don't know that that really got me and i thought um it did me too and i was just i could only imagine it a theater people screaming when that would happen it's like what like what just happened especially because he's he's the hero he's the main character of the film in a way um and and this is happening moments after you're seeing um matt damon's character finally get his just desserts in a way um through all of that (laughs) I loved uh, what's his name in this Mark uh, Wahlberg, Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, maybe yes, maybe no, maybe fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I again, I only saw this film once, so I'm not entirely sure. Was Mark Wahlberg a double? Uh, okay, but th- this is where we get to the area where I would go to you for these answers because I. There oh, okay. Were, there were moments <laughs> in the film, uh, again, only seeing it one time, that genuinely left me confused. Um, especially in the initial moments of it. So, and I'm having a hard time piecing some of them together. So first and foremost, getting back to uh, Frank Costello, Jack Nicholson's character. So it's revealed uh, before he dies that he is an FBI informant. Yes. Explain Mm -hmm. to me. Okay. So I completely didn't know that. So the FBI was protecting him then in the, or how, how was it happening? He's based on a, a real life, individual whitey bulger who of course was notoriously an fbi um informant he did the same thing FBI i saw informant. that movie uh black mass with johnny depp oh yeah yeah that's that's based off him right that's, right. that's literally based off him. this one is inspired by him right um yeah so from what it seems like is that like the fbi wouldn't tell the police force these things you like they're they're not um if someone is being an informant especially for the fbi uh 
it's only goes as the people who know only go as far as the FBI. So from what it's in the film, it's like, even if he got caught, he probably would have got a tap on the wrist and let go because the FBI went and stepped in and been like, no, 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 you gotta, you gotta let him walk. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the whole time he was an informant and that's how he was able to stay above water. Which makes sense. Um, and so what happens in the, f- where, okay, so what happens where he dies basically was he not expecting that to happen if he was an FBI informant? Or was that, was that just Matt Damon betraying him full for it? That was Matt Damon betraying him. Okay, that's what I... Because Matt Damon was as, as, as dirty a cop as they come. And he was trying to get out, uh, away from him, I think, toward the end of the movie. There were, there were scenes where Matt Damon was trying to um, get away from Frank mm-hmm. and his influence. And, and again, there is a, a bit of gray area with him because uh, he got to him at a very young age. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's it's not like it's just like, hey, Matt Damon, the asshole. <laughs> like, no, there there is some gray area to the character. There's also something uh, going back to like the whole um, gay theories. Mm-hmm. Um, there is um, this weird line, or maybe not weird if you consider that theory, that uh, Matt Damon throws at Jack Nicholson as he's dying um, about him having no sons. Oh yeah, I I'm not sure. Like, how would that be gay? I don't know. Well, he's that old and he has no sons to speak of. No, I think he 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 emphasizes on that. Well, I think it's it's more of like um, because he considered him a son, and basically just like I'm not your son. Hmm. Uh, you have no one. And the other, I, I bought it as that. Other people know. in the theory would say. I think they point out to. In a prior scene where Jack Nicholson is with his, like, uh, I don't know if it's wife or girlfriend, that the book she's reading is about how to get pregnant. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so, okay, that's right. I remember that. I remember seeing that. So it's like a, a, a secret dig as well. That mm-hmm. A lot of, I think if you really... It could be repressed, you know. A lot of this film is like, <laughs> here here comes the word, toxic masculinity. <laughs> and, and kind of like examining that a bit again because jack nicholson this big tough and everyone's constantly saying like oh i'm not a f word so afraid of being effeminate or something i will say i mean he had uh, jack nicholson's character frank costello had style like how he would dress and everything oh yeah he did he would do some crazy shit not to reinforce (laughs) a stereotype but i mean if it was made back in the 2000s, this would be a stereotype. If that was oh, what Scorsese... Oh, do you think the implication is that... I don't it, think he's gay. I don't think. No. But, like, I think... I, I think it's just more of, um, for everything, that he, all this projection of this big macho and he has sex with all these women, um, it's still... The fact that he can't have a son, like, it, it, it pokes at his machismo you know what i mean and i mean the movie opens up with nicholson i think at least it was the opening if i can recall where he says like look i could have stopped being a gangster if all i cared about was the money i just um i think he really just was portrayed as as this character that just loves this lifestyle and Mm -hmm. and more than anything just likes to kill people and and be what he is and uh, more than making money like the money didn't interest him as much as all the other stuff it seemed like whereas in goodfellas which we'll get to it's mostly motivated by finance. 
of these people of yeah. wanting to live a rich life and everything. Mm. Whereas with Nicholson's case, it would appear as if it's the opposite, where he really gets a thrill out of it. He makes fun of this woman who falls after he shot her in the head uh, early on in the movie. He's one of the few Scorsese characters where it's like, he's just a fucking monster. <laughs> but it's Jack Nicholson, so you at least are like attracted to him in not not in the you know sexual sense specifically but just more of like a as a person um he has a one-of-a-kind personality i'll tell you (laughs) yeah it's 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 that kind of thing um that's probably a good note if you're making a film with like a really depraved character you have to use an act like a really magnetic actor to be able to get the audience to still stick with this character. You know what I mean? Every scene he's in, I just, I'm, I'm glued to the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I really liked it. I thought it was a well ending movie. the ending real quick. So, Oh yeah. So the way that the ending plays out, this is, is where I got a little confused. <laughs> yeah. So the, yeah, me too. So the ending, uh, Leo gets shot by, the actor who I know from Iron Man 3, um, if you recall, he was playing one of uh, Aldrich Killian's like uh, extremists, uh, the, the bald the, guy, the bald guy. The bald, that, oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. right yeah. From Shane Black's Iron Man 3. So that's how I remember him. And he and he in this movie, The, the Departed, he was essentially the best friend uh, to uh, Matt Damon, who, again, the theory suggests that he had romantic feelings for him different thing altogether but mm. so the uh, matt damon's best friend and the force comes to his rescue kills leo but then matt damon kills him mm-hmm. which that's the point where, like well what wh- why would you kill him i remember this making sense to me at the time but it's, <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna be honest it's been a minute since i've seen the film but i remember being like oh yeah of course he'd kill him um no loose ends i guess Something like that, yeah. Because then what I happens? think at that point yeah. he was kind of exposed. Yeah. Um, well, so we remember was... that Leo had sent those tapes in the mail, that he had somehow mm-hmm. gotten evidence um, of the phone calls that he'd had with Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. And that's when, when Vio Farmiga is listening to them, then she just walks out. Uh, out of his life and everything, so it's mm-hmm. like he has evidence, and then he mentioned in the in the mail that he where did he get this evidence from again? I don't recall for who, and I guess maybe Mark Wahlberg was involved in that, or I guess it's alluded to because I don't know how else he would have known, other than perhaps he just knew and just went to go kill him. I don't... See, that's the thing. Was Mark Wahlberg also a double? Um... A double agent. I don't. I don't know what the. Are word you is. saying that that Wahlberg was with the the mob the entire time? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Was he part of the mob too? And then it's like, and he didn't even know about it. Um, what's and, his name? Uh, Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. Yeah. Um, but then after all that shit happened, it's like, hey, this dude, you know, take him out. Or was Mark Wahlberg? <laughs> Mark Wahlberg. Was Mark Wahlberg? Just like a cop that was willing to go the extra the extra step and said, I know this dude's fucking dirty. Fuck this guy. So he just went in and killed him. The latter uh, is what I assume, but the way that you put it, it could be either or. Yeah. Because how, would, how sure. would Wahlberg know? Unless he just had a good feeling. 
unless maybe he or I mean I don't know if this has ever been discussed, but Leo could have mm-hmm. also sent the tapes to him. Maybe again, it's been a while since I've seen it. I don't remember like the the point by point, but I remember having this feeling of like it's two possibilities. Either because did didn't before he was taken off the case, like he had a bad feeling about him, or like they were fighting constantly. Wahlberg and Damon were at each other's yeah. throats. Yeah, the entire movie um, basically. So maybe he j- just r- realized like, oh, f- this dirty cop, and he's like, fuck it, I'm taking the law into my own hand. Killed him, or which might be the most. Um, What's probably the act? What actually happened is that he was also uh, a part of the mob, and yeah, they hit out that. on him, so he came in and killed him. Huh. So I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's worth uh, doing a commentary in that movie, or just reopening again and seeing what it was. I really need to rewatch. <laughs> it's it's been a long time, um, but I really, I, I kind of love the movie. Really, it's really. really yeah. I thought it was good. That's good. Okay, so um, Casino. I love Casino. Yeah. Um, Want to give us the, the time frame for this one? This was 1995. As old as uh, I am. This is the year of Toy Story and Forrest Gump. I wasn't alive yet. Um, okay. Here is our synopsis. Again, provided by Litterbox XD. No one stays at the top forever. <laughs> In early 1970s Las Vegas, low-level mobster Sam Ace Rothstein gets tapped by his bosses to head the Tangiers Casino. At first, he's a great success in the job, but over the years, problems with his loose cannon enforcer, Nikki Santoro, his hustler wife Ginger, her con artist ex Lester Diamond, and a handful of corrupt politicians put Sam in ever-increasing danger. Now, like Casino, similarly to um, the film at, we'll talk about after this one, Goodfellas, it's pretty, uh, it's influenced by real events. I think this one says inspired by real events, while the, the other one, um, Goodfellas, is based on a true story. And so that's a, that should tell you this one definitely changes it up a more. But the like the stuff that happens to do with like the politician where everything goes wrong is real. Um, the stuff about how they found out, like the taps in the, uh, uh, the, the taps that they, they were tapping um, uh, someone's grocery store. I think it was actually a restaurant and they were able to find out about all this stuff in the book. All that's real. Um, Rothstein was based off a real dude. Uh, Rick Santoro, that's his name, right? Um, um, he's definitely based off a real dude. Um, so yeah, and then of course the wife Ginger. But yeah, I really love this one. This one is easily one of my favorite, favorite, favorite Scorsese films. Um, to me, I find this film endlessly entertaining. It is. Um, it's so entertaining. Like it is. It's a film. I don't care at what point the film is if I catch a glimpse of it, I have to watch the rest of it. Um, I love the the sort of like old-fashioned, uh, this sort of almost fairy tale like place that Las Vegas used to be. 
Uh, you know what I mean? And the fact that it takes place during that time period. And of course, with the flair of Scorsese, it's it's so interesting. And I it's also some of my favorite characters that he's tackled. Um, Absolutely. And I mean, as, as the movie kind of just starts off and goes uh, and kind of like just drenches you with this um, these uh, wonderful voiceovers. Um, that carry on yeah, oh, throughout the film. Oh, it's nothing but voiceover. <laughs> so we have Robert De Niro, who's playing Rothstein here, who is uh, the uh, casino manager, if you will. And the mob gets involved. The mob's whole operation here is involved with taking money out of the casino um, and into their pockets. This is when the mobs ruled Vegas. Yes, yes. One point of clarification, and I wasn't entirely sure. So... Rothstein allows this to happen, right? Or is he not aware? Yeah. Okay, just making no, sure. No, no, no. He he worked for the mob. He right. started out um uh giving them bets. Mm-hmm. Like because that's that's who Rothstein is is he's a really good at bet taker. Um, you know. They call so him they a bookie, about, right? A bookie? Is not that what it is? I don't know. That, I that, think? That's what they, I don't that's know. what they referred to him in the movie, a bookie. Okay. I'm not a gambler, I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, he is a gambler. Yes, that's his thing. Yeah, that he's really good at it, and like he he never takes a bet that he does it. He's not like a hundred percent sure on. So he does. He really does his homework before placing bets, and that gets the mob a lot of money. So they promote him. They send him over to to Nevada to to oversee the casinos, and then that's his job. So he knows they're skimming off the top that's the whole point he's there is to make sure that the casinos continue to succeed and to make sure the bosses back home get their cut so it's one of the interesting thing that's kind of a a degree of separation uh and maybe it's because of how often uh nick points this out portrayed by joe pesci um that rothstein is jewish and he's yeah. working for the mob which uh interesting because they're not the most uh inclusive group from what we've seen well it's like um it's like goodfellas to a certain extent um we'll talk about that next but the the two main characters two of them there's three main characters two of them are not full irish right so they can never be fully made italian into no sorry no they're not full italian right they're irish on i think the mom's side for one of them or whatever right um only one of them is full italian so only one of them can actually get made into the um into the mob and from what it seems like is that the mob they had a lot of people that they worked with but based on their heritage they would never be full members of the mob of the family basically so to say they work closely with them um but they will never be made and that was the word they'd call it being made Mm -hmm. that's the term and of course he's he's one of the people um rothstein Right, that wouldn't be made. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Nicky is. Yeah, um, he's an enforcer. The performances? I mean, I feel like I'm like a broken I label. I loved them. <laughs> like a broken record here, but it's... uh, Make make sure the word, the kids hear words. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Um, <laughs> De Niro is fantastic in this. Um, so is Sharon Tate. Wait, is it Sharon Tate? Sharon Stone. Sharon, okay. Whoops. Thought of the wrong one. Sharon, <laughs> Sharon Stone. And Joe Pesci is, I mean, like. At his peshiest. Yeah. Like. Which is saying something. F- 
full Pesci for this one. And to be fair, the character that he plays definitely requires um, that requires it be and it, like the real guy that he's based on like there was no exaggeration really um uh when it comes to the real life guy compared to the movie like he was that brutal in real life like his whole hole in the wall gang <laughs> where they would go out and and rob and that i think that's the reason why i really love this film because because i'm a sucker for those like historical pieces where you you learn a lot and entertaining ways but it also had really interesting characters with a really interesting story so it had both ends of the spectrum for me and like the the whole stuff of like even though the mob controlled um everything that was going on there they needed tourism so they didn't want any like on the ground gangster shenanigans actually happening in the city that was until What's his name uh, got there? Nikki. Uh, Nikki, Pesci's character. He was the one that brought the mob to, to, Vegas. to Vegas in a big, nasty way. And, you know, they, they mention it several times in the film, The Holes in the Desert. Uh, a brutal time for Vegas. Absolutely. Um, also, on the flip side, I mean, of course, I agree. I love Pesci in this, and he's probably at his Pesci as you say. I also really love De Niro in this movie, and in, in, in a way that, you know, most of the characters that he had played before this, especially in Scorsese's films, were kind of hideous human beings, um, for the most part. Maybe all of them. And not to say that, that this, this guy is an angel, but, like, this is the closest you get to of, of De Niro playing a likable guy um, in these movies. He's not a gangster. Yeah. Really, and he's not. Like he he he's a he's a gambler. He's a money guy, right? Like he doesn't deal with all of that like killing and all, all that shit. He's still like he's he's a dick, obviously, <laughs> but like, but he's not a gangster in that way. That's why Nikki's there, um, basically, because he's not that guy. So the mob sends Nikki to to be that guy for him. Um, but you can tell, I think. What's at least admirable for the character in the film is that he's very much a businessman and like he takes his work very seriously. Um, and I, and I think that's a trait that even when he does some worse things within the film and makes some bad decisions, uh, that's, that's kind of an admirable trait. Um, and, and I, I remember I don't remember if I read this or I saw a video on it that they said a good way to make a, a quote unquote bad character um, is to give them at least one admirable trait about them, something that uh, the audience can hold on to. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that you have here with De Niro is like, yeah, he's working for the mob. He's doing shady shit. Um that's not you get started on his relationship with his wife. That's a whole other thing. Um, but he has this like somewhat admirable, like very strong work ethic that is undeniable. I agree with that. Um, not to <laughs> unravel this, but uh, what did you make of the dynamic between him and Sharon Stone? In that very toxic relationship. That's where most of the entertainment for me came in this film. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, holy shit. Just imagine the most toxic relationship ever. Like, I, I, it didn't go the way I thought it would. 
Um, the way that I thought it was going to go, knowing the history of the other, you know, De Niro characters that I've seen in Scorsese's films, I inevitably thought that um, she would inevitably she would want to leave him because she was going to get bored, and then he was somehow just going to like destroy her or kill her or whatever, because that's how it usually goes. I feel with him, but no, I mean he really did love her. Um, he wanted he tried his best to make her love him, but that never happened. Um, and she also it was futile from the beginning. It was, and but she was she's also a self destructive creature, and she yes. kept getting worse and worse and worse. And she inevitably left. Well, she left several times, but when she did leave, um, she was the one that caused her own fate. And that's what's interesting because with either of them, they're not what you would call like. Well, they they both have very bad qualities about them, but it's not like. It's specifically one person or the other's reason why they broke up. Like, they're both just kind of toxic people and bad people. And, like, from the very beginning, she made it pretty clear. Like, she didn't want to get married to this, but he he had to have her. So he literally he literally bribed her with money to get married. Like, hey, I can give you this, I can give you this, and if you want to run away, I'm going to stash away all this diamonds and stuff for you if you ever want to leave. And did what he could, despite the fact, knowing probably deep down she didn't feel the same. And then, of course, she's uh, a toxic person who seems like it just needs to consume and consume and consume. And it's never enough. Um, And not just, like, money, but, like, drugs and stuff. Like, always looking for that next high. And, of course, the next high will never be enough. Um. I found the relationship really um, explosive <laughs> oh, yeah. and therefore <laughs> entertaining. Um, they had some of the best acting scenes together. Uh, I I really enjoyed whenever they were exploring their relationship because it was a toxic one. <laughs> Another toxic one was also the strained relationship between uh, Rothstein and Nikki. Because I think from the beginning, you got the sense that Rothstein just knew that if Nikki were to move here, he would fuck it all up. Um, and lo and behold, um, <laughs> he, he up. fucked it all he up. He fucked it all up. Um, and like, he's trying to help him also. But like, you know, there are moments where he makes him aware of like, you got to be more careful when this is right there. They're looking at you. And, the, and Nikki is just like, will you relax? I know what I'm doing. And it's like, it just gets more and more and more strained to the point where there's like this confrontation in the desert where like Nikki um, is angry that uh, Rothstein went behind his back and contacted the, the bosses back home to help him locate his wife and other stuff. All the meantime, Nikki wanting to pursue a relationship with his wife. So, And that's the biggest no-no in the mob you do not fuck with other people's wives why they have no regard for women in, in marriage at all so why because well that's kind of the weird hypocrisy contra- con- hypocrisy contradiction with these people right yeah because they're deeply religious um but they engage in murder and crime and some of the worst things they have very old-fashioned beliefs, but they don't really, 
you know, hold to them that well. So it's like, they'll cheat on their wives like crazy, whatever. But like, at the end of the day, they're like, well, you know, the wife is the wife and you don't touch that. Um, see, and I think yeah, so they're fine with them with them cheating on other people, but they can't cheat on a friend's wife. Yeah, because then that starts drama. Like you, you, theoretically, you could see like a whole, a whole family fall, like uh, a mafia family fall apart through internal fighting and spill into the streets with war over some shit like that. You you just don't do it. I mean, it messes up business. As we've seen with these movies, anything can mess anything up. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many little things with, within the film that actually did happen. Uh, like, you know, when the, the FBI was listening to them when they were golfing and the plane landed? Really? That actually happened. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and it landed because it ran out of gas or something? Actually, it was due to plane malfunction. But they really did land right there in the middle of the golf game and then, like, run away. <laughs> like, there's even, like, real-life uh, newsreels that I saw on YouTube. It's like, uh, you know, a, a plane had to land in uh, a golf course today due to, like, from... And you could tell it's, like, from 1980 or whatever um, when it took place. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, oh, that's real. <laughs> um Oh, this film has some of, like, the most brutal violence of any Scorsese film. And it catches you so off guard. Because out of all of them, I feel like this film will be really light. Like, it's Vegas. Like, you're in all the indulgence and the lifestyle. And then you'll turn a corner and it's, like, brutal, brutal violence. Um, I mean, just a couple of things uh, as far as Pesci is concerned. I mean... He literally stabs somebody with a pen. Um, he kills a woman in her home in the, in, in the early morning, just think with a, a shot to the back of the head. Um, many more of those. Um, I mean, the ending. Well, the way Pesci goes out. That was, I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. I, I mean, it's perfect because I think it's being teased the entire time. But that was just... It is brutal. Like, his own crew... Well, um, by this point, he's been fucking around for so much, for so long, just test, just daring the, um, the, bosses. The, the bosses back home to kill him. And finally, they've had enough of, of it, so they, they meet out someplace with the brother under the pretense of... I think being made his brother was going to be made and sort of the thing. Um, so they meet together out in the fields and then immediately his own people, his own guys, his crew take out bats and beat the shit out of him and his brother. And like, they are, they beat them to a pulp, drag them to graves and then bury them alive. And like they are still alive as they're being um as they're being buried. And they show you in detail all of this. And oof. It like it's I, I've seen like I like horror films. I've seen a lot of nasty shit. This is something that still gets to me. Um and again, pretty in line with what happened in real life. Um yeah. 
it, it <laughs> it's a pretty uh, brutal scene and it almost leaves you with that i mean there's something else that happens afterward but that's kind of the final sequences in the film that we see and it's it's pretty dramatic you i mean as you say they were being beaten up by these baseball bats and beaten up as if they're they're left bloody i mean they're left completely bloody disfigured um for whatever reason they're stripped and then oh yeah if they're close and then they're just thrown in this uh hole and they're like you can hear them audibly just agonize in pain and then they're just being buried alive i think one one shot is where like Pesci is screaming, and then like dirt just goes in his mouth as he's being buried. I it's it's pretty graphic. There's also the other point when they got the five families in court, so they have a meeting because they're like, "We need to cut all loose ends out there," and they're literally having a conversation where it's like, I can't remember who they're talking about. It's uh, like I know who it is, but I don't remember the the name. It, It was. One of the first guys that we see in the movie that basically is like this middleman between um, Rothstein and the, and the bosses. He's the guy that, that recruits uh, Rothstein to run the casino. He's the kind that's like, he's not made, but he's... He's an ally. He works with them. Yeah. And everyone's like, hey, he's rock solid. We, he was rock solid like his dad. Like, he, he's he's great. Like, you know, he he's a good kid. You know, he should... You know, we he shouldn't be part of our hit list, basically. And everyone's going around, you know, the table saying this. But then the main guy's just like, eh, why risk it? And then like that, he's dead. Why take the chance? Like it's, yeah, like it's crazy. It, it, it's, 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 it, it, that's what I think Scor- uh, Scorsese's gangster films are really good at showing is they show you the, the thrills of being in this lifestyle and understand why you would fall into it and then just the absolute horrors and how it just like disappears like that um in the, the most gruesome fashion it's literally happening behind you right now uh, oh yeah because goodfellas <laughs> is playing behind me what's oh oh yeah that's about to happen oh yeah that's right <laughs> so um, overall with casino you're right i think it's simultaneously one of his most entertaining films and also one of his most, if not most, brutal film. Oh, and a quick thing before we leave it. Um, this is one of like th- two other films where it's literally the story of how... So- We're going to talk about one of them, and the, the second one right now, um, where someone just gets into the, this kind of life, has a, a very... rises and then falls, and then it's just kind of... He survives it, and he's just kind of a normal person at the end of the day. Um What's interesting is that very recently, because in real life, um, the one who plays Rothstein, uh, th- that's the same thing that happened to him to, too. Um, I think he died of old age or something Rothstein like that. Rothstein or, or you're talking about uh, Ray Liotta's character in Goodfellas? No, I'm talking about um, Casino still. This is the, the last point. It's been uncovered recently that there's evidence to suggest that he was actually an informant. Uh, the real life uh, Rothstein, guy. Right. Uh-huh. And then the, you, you have zero hint of that in the film, but that's because that evidence wasn't out there at, um, at the time. But most recently, there's been some evidence found that's like, 
we this guy was maybe an informant and if you look at it it's like how did all of that go down and he still ended up living at the end of the day <laughs> and not doing jail time um yeah so th- I that, thought that was, was something about when the movie all ended it's like how is it that he was never arrested or anything no charges no arrested how why it yeah Oh, and then that like little TV show he used to do that was real too. I don't know. Sorry, <laughs> I would. Keep, I'm gonna keep bringing up shit. Uh, let's talk about the creme de la creme. <laughs> the creme de la creme of uh, uh, Goodfellas, right? That's the movie. It's called Goodfellas because he's a good fella. He's a good fella. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell us, oh great one. The synopsis for the classic film, Goodfellas. What year was it released? This is the year 1990. Once again, these uh, descriptions are brought to you by our sponsor, Letterboxd. XD. Letterboxd. Isn't it just Letterboxd? Letterboxd? Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) Three decades of life in the mafia. The true story of Henry Hill, a half-Irish, half-Sicilian Brooklyn kid who is adopted by neighborhood gangsters at an early age and climbs the ranks of a mafia family under the guidance of Jimmy Conway. Okay. Um, sorry. Um, instead of having talking about the film, Alexis has decided to turn around and simply watch the film. <laughs> this is, he's actually watching one of the best shots in the film, which is the crane shot into the... Um, back of the meat truck with the body um goodfellas is one of the best films ever made it is scorsese at his prime it's hypnotic well, it's hypnotic it's kiss. exhilarating it's exciting it is it, it gives you the kind of emotions that you look for um if you want to be thrilled by movies and I think this is probably one of the best examples of it. It's engrossing. It's extraordinarily detailed. It's shot beautifully. The the vistas, the lighting, the performances, the direction, the writing. I don't know if I said that twice, but the writing. <laughs> um, it is, uh, I think, uh, again, as I mentioned, Roger Ebert, who we're big fans of one of the uh, the, the most legendary critic, film critic of all time, referred to Goodfellas as the best film of the decade. Of the 1990s. It's, it's, it's as a film, it's instantly Can I just say, oh, Peter, I don't mean to interrupt oh, you too yeah. much, but there was something that we had neglected, neglected to mention back in Casino, and that was the fact that I do believe it had gotten some lukewarm responses when it was released back in 95. Uh, I did not know that. <laughs> uh, Gene, Sis- Gene Siskel, for example, was not too thrilled with the movie. I think he was just kind of like, whatever on the movie when it was released. Of course, as Ebert usually does, he defended the 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 accomplishments of the film. But if I'm not mistaken, I, I do believe reading that uh, Casino was regarded as good, not great, when it was released back in '95. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, Scorsese was uh, was his boy, uh, Ebert. Yeah, Ebert. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the film that I think everyone knows Pesci for. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this this is where you're, you're stereotypical. And Leo, Ray Liotta, for the most part. And Ray Liotta, yeah. Um, this was Ray Ray Liotta's. I don't know if it was his breakout film, but it's certainly because he's pretty young when he came out on this film, mm-hmm. 1990. 
It has to be. It's his most well-known movie, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. It's great. It, it's 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 the simple rise and fall of a gangster. Like that's that's the whole that's the whole film. That's it in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> the most iconic scene. I'm sorry. I'm just watching the movie as yeah. Peter is talking. Continue. <laughs> uh, when they kill um, Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. Uh, that's another thing. In real life, that character, they don't know how he died. They never found his body. I mean, there's Casino, for an example. And yeah. I believe though, the opening moments of the film show them burying a body, which is a common practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just I mean the, if you're a bad guy, life. I think it was a common practice to just bury a body. Um, like that. Well, you, you know. know, what you do on the weekend is your business. Um, <laughs> like this is this is where you have like classic um, De Niro and classic Pesci. You know, this is where you got really De Niro. Like, hey, don't don't fucking look at me. You know, like I can't do a De Niro voice, but that's where you really get both in a big bad way. Um, this is where you see a lot of the techniques that. Um, Scorsese first tried out and stuff like um, Mean Streets mm. just perfected yeah. in this film. The, the camera moves, um, the, the music accompanied with shots, sweeping shots of characters moving through restaurants and bars. I'll put it to you um, this way. I, the voiceover. I'll put it to you this way. I feel like this is what Mean Streets would have been like had he made um, Taxi Driver and Raging Bull before. Because you can definitely see all of the craft that he had grown from, that he had grown into, all put into this movie. And I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I know that we we have both discussed, you know, Taxi Driver is our favorite Scorsese film. Raging Bull is considered to be the magnum opus amongst the critics. Although, I guess, again, as you say that many people have their own version of a masterpiece for Scorsese... Goodfellas is another one of those. Goodfellas is the common man's uh, Scorsese masterpiece. Common man? What do you mean the by the, common com- man. the commoners? <laughs> um, where it's like, if you take an, uh, a random person off the street, and if they happen to know who Scorsese is, and you ask them what's, the, what's his best film, Goodfellas. Yeah. Goodfellas. Like, I see a lot of people, like, as far as, like, mob mafia films, gangster flicks or whatever... Most people rank this as the best one. Yeah. A lot of people, and I think, I don't know if it's recently, um, probably recently within the past decade or two. They're even raking it above stuff like The Godfather. Like, this is, I think to most people, like I said, this is the creme de la creme. um, Because it's... Hold on. Hot take. Hot take. Mm -hmm. Hot take. Would you put it above The Godfather? Don't do this to me. <laughs> I don't know. I actually feel they're very different films. I feel like the uh, the Godfather is much more romantic. Yes, it is in a way. Um, whereas Goodfellas is more. Uh, I don't know. Not, <laughs> uh, and that's not a negative or a positive. It's just. I feel they're very different. Trying to say which one is better to me is entirely futile. We're talking about two. It's like asking what's better. What's a better film, The Shining or 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's like 
You know, it's like they're both amongst the best films of all time. Just celebrate them both. Um, but I mean, everybody asks that question. It's just a curious one. It, it comes down to a matter of personal preference. I'd still say The Godfather. I mean, because I think that's... But I think the reason why people say Goodfellas is because it's more accurate to the day-to-day life, the realistic life of what... Would you say that it's also more fun to watch the lifestyle of Goodfellas oh, yeah. and Godfather? Oh, I yeah. Think... It's, it's so much... It's, it's entertaining. Yeah at a mile a minute and the godfather of course it's more slow um it's a slower film it, it's more of a slow epic where this is the much entertainment mile a minute um but this one like all the characters work um <laughs> what what's the actor again the main character ray liotta ray liotta uh ray liotta uh, as a character you feel for him because you understand why he's does what he does um he's not necessarily a bad person and you can tell he doesn't like partaking in the violence in a lot of the he other doesn't stuff. care for it i mean he's yeah he's shown as somebody who tolerates it but it's not something that really um, gets him going. He doesn't revel in. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it, it's in something fact, that he, he kind of has a disdain for. He does, it. but it's just something that he has to do. So he doesn't really question it in that regard because of the perks that he gets, um, in the mafia. And really, I think what this film does better than any of the other movies is that it really sells you on why somebody like Leota would want to be a part of this lifestyle and why it's been so, um, I guess, successful in terms of the mob's uh, recruitment status, I guess you could say. He's someone that didn't have a lot of options and and the mafia... Provided a good one. Op- yeah, that it was a very good option to him. You know what I mean? And like his relationship between him and his wife was very interesting where it's like, again, another toxic relationship, but she kind of... She found that lifestyle a bit attractive, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and then she is kind of complicit in, in a lot of the and things And the thing that is, though, does. you can't blame her because the film does such a good job of making it so attractive, especially that scene when they're, I think, one of their first dates or maybe their second dates. There's The first date didn't go right. well. The second. Right. The second, the second one yeah. went a lot better. So are they just they. They go to this popular club. They walk through the back. It's like, it's basically, you're acting as if you're the president and the first lady and everybody else around you is acting that way. You go to the- Everyone there is like, oh, nice to see you. Everyone's shaking his hand. And they literally go to the front and they have people just make a table for them right then and there to the Mm -hmm. very front of the stage where they have the the band and everything. And, And you can see where you would very much be attracted one, you would be attracted to want to partake in that lifestyle. Absolutely. And to be attracted to someone else that maybe is partaking in that lifestyle. Like, you get it. Power um, is a very attractive thing, baby. I'll just tell you that. And then, and it, like, by the time you reach the end of the film and where everything's getting just completely fucked, like, you completely buy how they started out in the beginning and how they ended up completely fucked by the end. You you get you see the clear line of where that journey took them. And I think that's something that's really hard to do. Um believably yeah. anyway. Um but this film just did it 
effortlessly. And also, it, it, it can be considered the most definitive uh, gangster movie because of just the different... Um, the range of the characters is also pretty remarkable because, as we just mentioned, that Le- Leota's character, he's not someone that really revels in murder or that kind of stuff or the violence. But we know somebody who does, and it's kind of a maniac, and that is Joe Pesci. And he he represents the the type of gangster that could get made, that could be uh, officially part of the family, right? Mm-hmm. And then De Niro is, is that sort of crazy individual that's on the outside, though. And then, of course, the, um, the, the, the mob boss. Uh, I can't remember. Which one, though? Who the, Sal? Uh, Paul. Polly? S- Sorvino. Yeah, Polly. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, you you really see it kind of from all aspects, and it and it's a great way of breaking down what the life is, what it entails, how how you would get into it, and how you would fall from it. And yeah, um, probably the most iconic scene in the film is a you laughing at me? Am I a clown? (laughs) Yeah, that was something out of this world. Like he's just like he's just laughing at him, and Leota's like, "You're you're you know what? You're you're so funny." And then like Pesci's like, "Yeah, what's so funny?" <laughs> like, and like I'm like, I think in the end it ends up being a joke, right? But it's like, yeah, yeah, he was fucking. But with you don't think that for a long time. Like you really think like this guy is that like, Oh fuck, what's going to happen. That's why the scene is so great. You could go from just like, you're the best of friends with these people to being completely terrified in a second. That was scary. Um, yeah, it's, it's so well done. And so encapsulates what the lifestyle is, um, just within that scene. Um, like, I don't know. Funnily enough, this is one of my favorite, I probably second favorite of all of Scorsese films. And it's, I feel like it's the most difficult to talk about because it's like, what can you say about the film that hasn't been said a million and a half times? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. A, all of a sudden, I'm kind of at a, at a struggle to say ne- what's next to say that hasn't already been said. I mean... It's a great film, and it does everything great for all of the reasons of which we just discussed, and it's loved for all of the reasons that we just said. And there really isn't all that much more to say, but it's just a damn great movie. And like, if I'm looking at the Scorsese films that I've seen, um, I do believe this is like the second one, uh, my second favorite of the bunch, um, only because, well, duh. And it's kind of like this film in 1990 with Goodfellas, this is kind of the culmination of all of the different uh, things that Scorsese had been working up toward. Yes, he made more gangster movies after Goodfellas than before Goodfellas. But as we said, he really did employ a lot of the sensibilities that he had learned from on all the other films from Raging Bull and uh, Taxi Driver, New York, New York, and Temptation of Christ and all these other things. And he he made uh, what I would think is what he wanted to do with Mean Streets in a way. I mean, it's it's bigger in scale and scope than, than Mean Streets, but you definitely do get 
Um, uh, I, I guess as somebody would say Scorsese in his, um, not, uh, in, in the greatest powers or, um, yeah, I guess <laughs> his greatest powers and, and, and deliver something that is talent. Yes. Talent, <laughs> I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. My top three are raging bull, Goodfellas, and taxi driver. Although that, that may change. Cause, uh, I do like Raging Bull a lot, but there are others that are more entertaining than that, um, personally, like Casino. Um, so, yeah. It's just a great movie. <laughs> yeah. What else can you say except for, oh, yeah, this didn't win Best Picture, did it? No. <laughs> I think it it lost to, um, was it the Romeo and Juliet film? You're kidding me. I think I think it was that one or Shakespeare in Love. It was it was one of those two. Dances with Wolves. It lost to Dances for with Wolves. Dances with Wolves was the best picture winner. Why was I thinking? Why was I thinking Shakespeare? In well, Love? it was close or around there, wasn't it, <laughs> when it was released? Uh, and it's for the Academy for the movies that were released in 1990, which Goodfellas was the film that won Best Picture for the year of 1990. Of course, the Broadcast was 91, but uh, it was Dances with Wolves. Yeah, it should have been Goodfellas. <laughs> I think you could say the same with Taxi Driver and Raging Bull and um, other films. The Departed did win Best Picture, right? That year? Alongside with Scorsese getting his first directing? I don't remember. I think so, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. If I remember, yeah, it did. Which, I mean, yeah, good. Good, good, good. <laughs> Finally, for that. I'm at a loss for what else to say other than this is uh, probably as... Uh, this will maybe... Uh, I'll, I'll say that perhaps in this next generation, when we're looking back on this, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me, and I feel it already has in some ways, that Goodfellas could overtake uh, Taxi Driver and Raging Bull as like Scorsese's best film, but I kind of feel it already has. So I feel like it already has for most people. Yeah. Anyway. I think it. I think it's it's seen as his as his best. I as far as critics go, I don't know because I know at the time they did think Raging Bull was, but I'm cool. I I like Goodfellas Goodfellas more. So <laughs> yeah, but again, we're all talking about such great films in the first place. Well, if there's nothing else that we can say um, about Goodfellas, I think. These four films that we discussed today are just more examples of the kind of movies that um, are great, <laughs> clearly. Um, but it is important to note, while most of Scorsese's films weren't runaway box office hits, I do believe all of these were moderate, if not big successes relative to their budgets when they were released. Um, yeah, I don't think any of these lost no. money. Now, today, um, <laughs> if they if any of these released were released in a theater, I don't know if they would make money. I don't think anybody would care. That's just a sad reality, yeah. right? Like these movies that are like so <sighs> cherished and beloved now, if they were just dropped in a theater, I don't think anybody would even fucking notice unless I had, unless it was like um, Marvel Studios presents Goodfellas. <laughs> if Martin Scorsese was directing, I don't even fucking know an X Men movie. 
Oh my god. Well, it's like I remember people would be there. Remember the late great John Schnepp? Uh we used to watch him on on um on Movie Talk when first in the AMC then the Collider days. But I remember him, I don't know if he was just being like he was just joking around or being serious, but when they uh when Disney first purchased Lucasfilm and then there was the announcement that a lot of more movies besides episode 7, 8 and 9 were being developed, I think he went on movie fights and he was like making his case for like, all right, pitch your uh, Star Wars movie. And he was saying, um, let's have a Job of the Hutt gangster movie directed by Martin Scorsese. And this, <laughs> the sad thing is, though, is that would likely be the easiest film that Scorsese would be able to get financed. He wouldn't probably want to do it, but if he wanted a big budget that would be one that would not only be the easiest to be picked up, the easiest to finance, but perhaps the one that would get the masses' attention in an instant. <laughs> A Martin Scorsese Jabba the Hutt gangster film. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine what that would look like. Because... Like, you're going to have Jabba in an abusive relationship with his wife where they fight and throw shit at the wall. It's hard because you're, like, you're going to have him. You, you can't ha telling other gangsters to go fuck themselves. You, you like, can't have a rated R star Wars movie. Cause that's not star Wars, which is kind of the inevitable problem that star Wars features. Or I guess you could make a Disney plus series <laughs> on, on the huts. <laughs> well, let me ask you this question. If, mm-hmm, such a thing were to happen, would you watch it? No. You really wouldn't watch it? No. Even the Scorsese was doing it. Because I know behind the scenes, Scorsese is just like... <laughs> dying. And it's like, this poor man. Like, the only way I would ever see him doing it is if he has, like, a really great gangster movie and no one will fund it. And with all his might, he wants to He'll make just it. joker it? So he jokers it and, like, he makes the characters and he just kind of like takes it and applies it to Star Wars. Um, but this is the thing, like Star Wars gangsters are nothing like real life gangster. It's, it's a fucking kids. It's a kids right. movie. I know it's very hard for people to understand this. It is a kids movie. And not only is it a kids movie, it is very, very much a kids movie. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, to bring the mood down. What? Why? Because it's just the reality that would happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you didn't have to bring it up. Okay. Well, the next episode in our Scorsese series is going to feature four more films. And this is what you call miscellaneous. So we have Shutter Island, Silence... Hugo and The Wolf of Wall Street, which are his most recent films leading up to Irishman, which we'll be able to see on Netflix at the end of this month and have a subsequent review uh, to wrap up our Scorsese uh, series on it. And I'm quite excited for the next episode. Um, I really like, yes. I really love two films that I've seen and I've yet to see the other two, but... Oh, okay, I thought you were going to say, I love two films, and I don't the other two. I haven't two. seen the other two. 
But the ones okay. that I have seen, I was I love. gonna be like, "Woof, hot takes." No, no, okay, no. okay. <laughs> um, and also, yeah, uh, the other four we're gonna discuss are maybe not discussed as much as these other newer. ones. Yeah, so there, I think there'll be some fun, interesting did, things well, to say about them. It's interesting them. because they also did varying degrees of success. I would, I would guess that um i know shutter island was a box office success although critically speaking maybe it's not as loved it really isn't although wolf of wall street was successful and i think also garnered a best picture nomination as well as hugo oh hugo yeah. also got a best picture nomination silence I was think... all but ignored so that was like a disaster financially speaking i think his last hit was maybe the wolf of mm-hmm. wall street silence was not I a feel hit. like that was a no nobody it was kind it was basically ignored i don't understand when that happens i really it's scorsese and like i understand why it wasn't a success at the box office but it's if it's as good as you say it is and as you say if the academy awards place are they're not but if there are supposed to be about you know, promoting the kind of films that people wouldn't go see, you would think at the very least this film would have garnered some kind of nominations or talk, but it wasn't even talked about. It was it. The surprise was that it wasn't just ignored by audiences. It was ignored by critics. Well, yeah, you know, it's the politics game. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, we're going to have an interesting time if we're going to see Knives Out. I'm kind of stressing about that because I really want to see Knives Out and I really want to see Jojo Rabbit and I really want to see other films, but like... <sighs> we'll see if we'll be able to. We're going to have to board, um, I guess, some kind of a ship at um, at the Mus Eisley spaceport and, I don't know, light speed to some other place that gets some actual movies in their theaters. Um, but this will be uh, the closing part of the episode. I want to thank Peter for being here. I also want to remind you guys that the next episode we'll be on, we'll be talking about the films that we just discussed uh, will be teased or that I just teased right now. And also if you're interested about the Mandalorian, Kyle Lyra is doing, well, first of all, he's doing the Lightspeed the nine series where he's doing retrospect episodes and all the star Wars films. But in addition to that, he's also said that he will be doing weekly reviews of the Mandalorian, uh, which are going to be on Disney plus, which apparently Peter has already cracked the code about what the ending is going to be for the Mandalorian. So, um, (laughs) Um, you want to give like your one sentence impression of the Mandalorian? Why? We I did. I was on that episode with Kyle. Oh, okay. Never mind. I, I did a whole episode <laughs> with Kyle. That's the by the time this episode drops, it would have already been on the fantasy. That would have already yeah. been out. Yeah. Uh, it's dropping Fridays. Go over there and listen yeah. to that. So it's more than one minute, um, and everything. So, yay! Uh, from what I understand, you're more than welcome to come on. <laughs> The fantasy fair and review Mandalorian, which you liked it, so yeah. But I don't. I don't think I have time to review. No, no, we don't. So, thank you all for listening so much. I want to remind you guys: you can catch our podcasts anywhere you listen to podcasts: Apple, Spotify, Google, YouTube. All. Uh, we're still working on launching Red Spotlight Plus. We'll see where that happens. And also, uh, thank you to our sponsor, Letterbox XD. Our 
letterboxed. I, letterbox D. I I, I just assume it's letterboxed, and then if it's XD, it's just boxed. Letterboxed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you all so much. Uh, catch us here under the spotlight, and bye bye. <laughs>